Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to U105 of the Best, a roundup of the top chat, interviews, and news stories from the past week on Northern Ireland's best mix, U105. They may make the rockin' world go round, but Queen's fat-bottomed girls aren't making the playlist on youth streaming platforms anymore. Kim Kelly joined Frank on the U105 phone-in to debate whether this iconic song of sexual awakening should or shouldn't be available to youngsters. Now, Fat Bottom Girls causing some controversy. They used to make the rockin' world go round and all of that, but apparently no longer. Uh, certainly not if being aimed towards the younger set via Yoto, which is an audio platform aimed at children. Um, they are including, however, Bohemian Rhapsody, um, which includes, of course, uh, shooting and uh, being shot. And there is a warning with Bohemian Rhapsody, but the concept of Fat Bottom Girls, that has been dropped altogether. This is a, a song written by Brian May back in 1978 and it, it makes reference to a nanny who was called Fanny and the line in it is left alone with big fat Fanny she was such a naughty nanny but uh, who needs me to tell you it when the lads can sing it themselves? <gasps> That line as well, get on your bikes and ride, that caused controversy some years ago because the cover of the single featured a naked woman riding a bicycle. So it could be described as incredibly uh, sexist, the song. Is it time to begin to ease it out of society? Let me speak to Kim Kelly about this. Kim, good morning. Hello there. What a tune. I'm sure people listening to that had forgotten what a really good song that is. I mean... It's just fab, isn't it? What a song for a Monday morning. It is an excellent song, but I'm not sure where women are with the size of their posteriors. Do they prefer to have big buttocks or not? The big buttocks seem to be in recently, and now they're getting rid of the song that pays tribute to them. Well, speaking for my people, obviously, women, I was standing in front of the mirror today thinking, oh, I need to lose a bit of weight. And then I thought about fat bottom girls, and I thought, nah, fine. 
It's fine. Isn't it funny how Queen were way ahead of this curve? Because they wrote that song in 1978 when the kind of skinny rock chick look would have been in. You know, being sort of chubby or fatter wasn't really in. But since then, there's been an absolute slew of songs about girls with big, big bums. You know, and they're very, very mainstream songs. Uh, Megan Trainor, all, all about that bass. Uh, I mean, who can forget the wonderful song Big Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot with those iconic lyrics, I love big butts and I cannot lie. I mean, while there's songs like that about, I don't think we can accuse Queen of being sexist. I actually read that Brian May didn't actually write this specifically about women. He wrote this with Freddie Mercury in mind as well. So he did say it's not just about, you know, girls who have fat bottoms, but about boys as well. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, the, the take on it from people listening to the programme. I think most of the offence, going by texts here, would have been caused by the reference to the nursery. He, he was a bad boy even before he left the nursery. So a suggestion that the nanny was in some way uh, be, be, being, to put it to put, put it put it mildly, put it mildly, a sex yeah. offender. Yes. Now, I think having read around, it does sound quite bad. And of course, the shock value, the nanny's called Fanny to rhyme, of course, you know. Um, I think, I mean, I've read a few interviews and he basically just said the song is about a sexual awakening. It's not specifically relating to, it, it maybe came across like that. Um, but maybe wasn't exactly that. Now, is it Queen's best song? Probably not, no. Uh, I mean, if you were going to drop one song, it probably would be the song to drop. But I think any suggestion that Brian May is being sexist, the national treasure that is Brian May. This is true. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, and I had the pleasure of meeting him. Uh, Kim, always a joy having you on. Kim gives it the thumbs up. What do you think? Would you allow your child to hear that song? Because it is being dropped from a target audience where younger children would be listening. Jane McLennan joined Carolyn to answer the listeners' food and nutrition questions on the Bistro. The menopause, mental health and multi-nutrients were all on the menu as they served up some great advice on diet, lifestyle and how to feel better. Hey there, Jane McLennan. She's just joined us. Hey how are you there, doing? Carolyn. <laughs> how are you keeping? Are you well? I'm good. How are you? I'm brilliant. I'm brilliant. Um, I was just um, telling the listeners that we were going to be talking to you if you're perimenopausal or menopausal and how you can help with your diet. Mm-hmm. You can help yourself. And just as I'd said that, um, we had one of our listeners, Jane, jump in to say um, that she was really looking forward to hearing you on because she is struggling big time. Now, let me see if I can find the name of the person. Yes, it's Shell. Shell mm-hmm. says, great to hear Jane talking about this today. Hopefully can, she can sort us ladies out. Um, I am 48, perimenopausal, no hot flushes yet, thankfully, but I just feel off. Mm. Um, that's the only way I can describe it as off. Yes. I'm also trying to lose weight and it's not shifting, maybe just a pound a week. Try to eat lots of protein and salads, but I'm so bloated. I feel so tired. Help me. Okay, right. I'm scribbling all these things down because this is really brilliant. I think, Shell, that you've hit hit the nail on the head. You feel a bit off. And, and as our hormones fluctuate, so this idea about menopause, menopause is one day. It is the day that your periods, you haven't had a period for a year. And if you think about the time on the run up to that, that's when we need to start thinking about our diet and our lifestyle and really addressing changes that are going to support and 
help to nourish our bodies, but really balance our our hormones. So, um, Shell, I've got lots of ideas for you. Right. Right. The first thing is, you're definitely on the right line, getting more protein. When we hit perimenopause, and it's not like, you know, you can't necessarily go to your GP and get a blood test and they'll say, oh yes, you are perimenopausal. It's often to do with, your GP will talk to you about how you feel, Mm -hmm. actually. And if you imagine... As we approach menopause, we don't ovulate at every cycle. When we ovulate, we produce progesterone. We're never really taught about these hormones at school, about no. what they do and stuff. Oh, we grew up, we knew nothing about it. Nobody talked about it. In no. fact, nobody talked about anything oh, whenever no, we no, were younger. No, no. Definitely yeah, not. So it's great that we're having yeah, this conversation. Brilliant. So because we're not, pro- we're not ovulating at every cycle, we don't produce the same levels of progesterone because we only produce that when we ovulate. So progesterone, I talk to people about progesterone like it's your girl's best friend Mm -hmm. you know that level-headed cool calm collected hormone (laughs) that makes you feel chilled out grounded like yourself Mm -hmm. you know um and when our levels of progesterone start to reduce we get a dominance or we get an imbalance with our estrogen and that's when we get all these crazy signs, symptoms and like Shell said you just feel a bit off so one of the things if your progesterone levels are low you can feel more anxious more stressed small things really get to you mm-hmm. you, you can know? be very emotional as really well. emotional mm-hmm. more angry maybe more low mood you p- might not be able to sleep as well because the progesterone is so calming but also you have the other side of that where it's not that your estrogen levels are necessarily low. They're all over the place. At mm. perimenopause, they are fluctuating all over the place in relation to this low progesterone. That's why we feel a bit off. And that's why we feel a bit off kilter, out of, out of sorts. Not just, you know, our level, our level, the way that we used to be able to lose weight or mm. do whatever. It, things it's, all change. Things Every, change. Your body's just change. I mean, you know what's really funny as well, Jane? Before we get the, the shell and people like Shell listening, we never even talked about being perimenopausal. We no. never really... Nobody mentioned that you just went through it. Yeah. And then you hit the menopause. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the way it happened. Absolutely. Nobody ever. So all those people who've been through that at a certain age didn't know what they were going through. No, they didn't. They were just feeling, as Michelle says here, off. Yes. And, you know, tired, exhausted, bad form, emotional, all those things, mm-hmm. and you couldn't explain it. Yeah. And then having to come into work. Yes. With the brain fog, not being able to do your meetings, or, I mean, I've been on the air, mm-hmm. and completely lost where I was going. Yeah. With the conversation because of the brain fog. Nobody accepts that that happens to you. No. So it's great that this conversation... It is brilliant. For other people, they understand it, yeah. Because, you know, unless you were lucky enough that your mum would have talked to you about what what happened to her, and I was lucky, or I am lucky that my mum does talk to me about that. But unless you you talk to your mum about it, like your granny's generation, absolutely no way, never mind our our mother's generation. And there's people now, even, you think that today, people don't want to talk to their kids about this stuff. No, we've got to. We've got to talk Mm. about it. So, as our hormones start to start to change and start to fluctuate, weird things happen in your body from head to toe because estrogen affects every single cell in our body. So you mentioned about the brain fog. Shell mentioned about weight loss and just feeling a bit off and out of kilter. One of the things I've noticed is my joints are mm. achy. I've never had that in my life before. Um, other people would say about things like stress or anxiety. Your hair um, as well changes. Your hair changes. Yes. yes. It's mad. Yeah. yeah. So it's like the inside out. And... Also, I think it's really important to acknowledge the mental health side of this as well. Because when we used to talk about menopause, 
like all I remember really learning about it and was about, oh, hot flushes. There is so much more to it than that. On saying all of that, it's not all doom and gloom. And there's so much that you can do to help support yourself, nourish yourself and re- rebalance yourself. So... There's loads of really brilliant apps. There's the one that's the the best known as the Balance app, where you can keep a record of when you're getting your periods. Because the other thing is, your periods might be more frequent. They might be heavier. It's not necessarily that they become more light or less frequent. It can go the other way. Mm -hmm. So keeping a record, knowing your own body, no matter who you are, but especially if you are a woman at perimenopause. And the other thing I would say about this is that we, we, you know, there's this assumption that perimenopause happens to women in their 40s and their 50s. It can happen to women much, much younger as well. But why, why is it then that the GPs won't acknowledge that a lot of the time? And as you say, you know, I mean, there's no blood tests to, to say that whether yeah. you're perimenopausal, is there? No, no, there's not. So nobody can determine that. So you go along, you've got all the symptoms mm-hmm. and you're, say, 35 mm-hmm. and you're saying, I think I'm perimenopausal and your GP is saying to you, no, 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 you're too young for that. I, I think, I've heard this. yeah. I know, and I think the important one of the important things is the age. If you know what age your mum, lots of people don't know, or maybe they, they, their mum isn't around to ask, but if your mum had an early menopause, then, and if you have a family history of that, that is more likely. But I think, get a second opinion. If your GP is saying that to you, seek a second opinion, whether it's in the practice. Again, you know, there's so much help online. There's lots of, lots of really, really good specialist help. There's the British Menopause Society who are fantastic. So get online and check get somebody else to talk to if you if your gp is not listening to you or your healthcare provider is not help listen to you seek another opinion you will find somebody who will listen to you and who will understand yeah, yeah. definitely well we're going to talk today about um food that you can eat that's yes, going I'm to make you i could be here all day i you know, know and i can i could keep you here all day so you keep an eye on that clock I, like, <laughs> keep me i'll tell you what we'll do <laughs> no but we could could talk about this all day and people are interested yeah. and i'm not just talking about women being interested of course their family members are Yes. because they can maybe get a better understanding of yeah. why someone is feeling or behaving the way they're behaving um, and understand that a bit more, mm-hmm. you know, so we're going to chat a wee bit more about it. I'm going to take a song and I'm going to look at some of the queries that are yeah, coming brilliant. in and then we can deal with that after this. So some questions coming in for Jane, our resident nutritionist vital nutrition with us um, this afternoon talking about um, perimenopause and menopause. Jana's asking um, do some people get off light with very little symptom? Um, Excuse me, she says she seems to have the odd hot flush and um, a thickened a wee bit around the middle and it will not move. Um, Is it all in front of me? I'm 59. Not necessarily. I think that's a really brilliant question Janice because what, what, how one person is affected will not be the same as somebody else. So some people can sail through menopause and really have not very much, you know, not very, very many symptoms. And for other women, it can be totally life changing. So, um, I think hopefully, Janice, you'll keep sailing through it. That's good. <laughs> very good. Nice one, Janice. Kay and Carrick said she's, um, she's 60 and she's ready for throwing herself down the stairs. She says, I'm fed up with myself. The sweats and the lack of sleep and the memory and all of this. She says, I got some um, let me see multi-nutrient support um, from the health shop and she's asking is that a good thing will it work okay it's really hard to say about one particular product but a multi-nutrient 
is probably not specific enough, even if it is a menopause multi-nutrient, because that'll be your vitamins and your minerals. That's your baseline. There's other herbs and nutrients that are, that work as gentle hormone balancers. Some of these you can take alongside HRT really safely. Always check with your pharmacist or your GP. Um, but if you're, you know, look for things with um, magnesium. There's a there's a herb called ashwagandha, which is really calming and used a lot in, for stress and also for perimenopause. Um, so I would go for more of a herbal supplement with nutrients as well. Um, and you can take that alongside the multivitamin and mineral. Just check if you're on HRT, check with your GP or your pharmacist that there's no drug nutrient interactions with mm-hmm. that because some of those herbs that are available will interact with the HRT. So just be really careful about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Helen's asking about the root maca. Um, yeah. Does it help with perimenopausal symptoms? Yeah, so maca is, uh, I think it's I think it's South American, but it's a, a it is a root and it's it belongs to a group of herbs called adaptogens, which is the same as what that ashwagandha and also another herb called rhodiola belong to. So they really help with stress. They work on the adrenals more than they work on kind of female hormone balance, but they, it can be really useful. And maca you can get as a powder and put it into things like your overnight oats or your cereal. You can put it into smoothies. Mm-hmm. Nothing will work on its own. It's yes. all part of it. It's like the jigsaw puzzle. Yes. Get all the bits of the jigsaw puzzle together. Mm-hmm. Use the supplements, but also think about your diet and lifestyle as well. Sheila's asking, does progesterone come in pill form? Yes, it does. So it comes either, um, some people would have it as, um, have progesterone produced through the coil, but also the pill or HRT. Yes, progesterone comes in that form as well. And, you know, you're, if you are, to, not everybody wants to take HRT and it's not suitable for everybody, but if you are on HRT, your um, healthcare professional will have the balance of progesterone and estrogen that's right for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And sometimes it's a bit of trial and error, but yeah. Okay, Sheila, um, you can inquire about that. So um, we're going to run through then some of the things that you recommend we eat yeah. in order to make ourselves feel better if yeah. we're perimenopausal. So the first thing is really cleaning up your diet. It is definitely a time to think about how you nourish your body as much as you can. So take the things out that are not going to do you much good and that are going to contribute to the stress, the night sweats, the weight gain. And those foods are the foods I talk about all the time, the high sugar stuff, the refined stuff, but also caffeine. If you're getting flushes, if you've got anxiety, drop the caffeine. Do it slowly, otherwise you'll get headaches. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first thing, take those bits out. And the other thing I would say to take out is alcohol because you're just going to feel more sluggish and also because of the hormone fluctuations that are going on, your liver is working really hard. So you want to do all you can do to support that liver, get the alcohol out and t- kind of offload your system. Okay. Um, so reduce the sugar intake. Mm-hmm. It's funny because a lot of people would go for sweet stuff and chocolates and yeah. comfort eat like that, you know, yes. but whenever they've got these symptoms. Um, so cut out the, 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 the sugar, cut out the alcohol and the caffeine. Mm-hmm. Life's not looking good for any woman that's <laughs> very menopausal. Right, these are all the things, some, that, these are all things that you gravitate towards. Like, you know. I know, uh, I know. Okay. So look for your alternatives. 
Um, so things like, I know that I talk loads about protein and I think somebody came in to say it's not all about protein, which is absolutely right. It's not all about protein. It's not all about one thing. But we do need almost double the amount of protein at perimenopause than we do at other at an earlier time in life because we are get at an increased risk of sarcopenia, which is muscle loss, and also osteopenia, which is bone loss. So we need more protein for that. So when you look at your plate of food, breakfast, lunch and dinner, prioritise the protein. Think things like nuts and seeds, beans and lentils, eggs, meat, fish, chicken, natural um, things like your natural yogurt, your cottage cheese. Think about how you can add a pop of protein. For example, at lunchtime before I come out, my protein and my salad was feta cheese, kidney beans, handful of walnuts, and then I made a yogurt that was, or not a yogurt, I made a salad dressing that had a wee bit of yogurt and olive oil. It doesn't have to be like a big slab of steak on your yes. plate. Think about creatively about how you can up your protein there. Also, there is a group of foods called phytoestrogens, which are plant-based estrogen balancers. They're not estrogenic; they are balancers. So um, they, you find, and so if your estrogen levels are fluctuating all over the place at perimenopause or low after menopause, these are so important. Okay. So you find them in flaxseed, mm-hmm. beans. And lentils. So yeah. your flaxseed. You know that um, we've got a brilliant local brand here, Linwoods. Yes. They do a, a new product, new-ish. It was came out last year called Menaligna. Mm-hmm. And Menaligna has got higher levels of things called lignans that are really nice hormone balancers and it's specific for menopause. But if you get any of the Linwoods products and start using that every single day, it's about the consistency of mm-hmm. these things. Yes. I suppose it is like taking supplements. You, yeah. It's not going to work overnight, but you just no. got to keep... Get it, it in, in every there. day. Yeah. 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 And that can help. It's been shown to help with hot flushes and other menopausal symptoms. Beans and lentils, stuff like chickpeas, things like red kidney beans, things like butter beans. So more hummus, more chickpea curry, more lentils in your bolognese. And it all sounds gorgeous. Like there's none of that on turning Doesn't it? Up, but yeah, it yeah. sounds good. So it's not so bad then. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that's really important is keeping your digestion regular. Because as your hormones fluctuate, your liver packages these hormones up, your digestive system excretes them. So don't get constipated. So lots of fibre in your diet, those whole grains, things like your brown rice, the beans and lentils and the flaxseed will help with this too. Mm-hmm. But things like your, you know, try stuff in your diet, like quinoa, whole wheat couscous, brown rice. Go for the brown stuff, not the white stuff. Mm-hmm. And really importantly, because of that drop in progesterone, we want foods that are calming and they are foods that are rich in magnesium. So loads of greens. Get your greens into you, mm-hmm. get your nuts and seeds into you and a wee bit of dark chocolate. And you're going to feel great. You yeah, you'll feel, feel so much better. I mean, you've, you've looked at this. I mean, you, you do this on a regular basis with, with your clients that people come to you yeah. and ask for advice. So you actually watch the change. Yes, it's lovely. Yeah. I love that. Yes. When people come back and actually over a relatively short period of time, time people women feel better fairly quickly when they start making changes the other thing I would really emphasize here is if you're on a low-fat diet you need to get off it at perimenopause because your body is hungry for those fats not like butter and cakes not the bad fats fats, the the olive oil and the oily fish and the things that I talk about all the time but get those fats in your diet and they will not make you fat the thing that will put weight on around the middle is the sugar and the white carbohydrates. So get those as low as you can go. Jane, thanks a million. We could talk all day about this. But, I know, But we? you do online, <laughs> so people want to talk to you online. How do they do it? So you can find me on vitalnutrition.co.uk mm-hmm. and if you're on Instagram or Facebook, it's at 
Instagram is at vital.nutrition and Facebook is Vital Nutrition One. And I'm going to p- pop up a post about perimenopause and what you can do to support yourself as well. But there's Brilliant. loads of information online with my all my stuff. Great. Jane, thanks as always for all your wonderful advice and we'll see you next time. See Cheers. you next time. Thanks. Thanks spoke to writer, broadcaster and journalist Jennifer O'Leary about the Padme, the true story of the Irish priest who armed the IRA with Gaddafi's money and discussed the man, his actions and the reasons for them they counted in Jennifer's book. This is the U105 phone-in. Good morning, Frank Mitchell here until 12 o'clock. I've mentioned the book, The Padre, the true story of the Irish priest who armed the IRA with Gaddafi's money. And part of the promotional literature says the Padre tells the truly remarkable story of this man of the cloth who decades on is still unrepentant about his ruthless pursuit of money, weapons and assistance for the IRA's violence. Indeed, his one regret is he wasn't even more effective. He sounds incredibly sinister. Jennifer O'Leary has been speaking to him and writing about him. Uh, Jennifer, good morning. Morning, Frank. What sort of man is Father Patrick Ryan? Because in the short bit that I've been reading about him, and I've also, of course, followed the story on TV when a spotlight put the spotlight on him, um, he seemed to have been a very dedicated terrorist. He is uh, an intriguing character for a number of reasons and and I say this very mindful of the the awful pain and trauma uh, suffered by his uh, the victims of the IRA's campaign of violence so in in no way does this book eulogize uh, Patrick Ryan he's an intriguing character he, he's very he's very careful in what he says he's very careful in what he does uh, he's an outwardly gentle uh, person, uh, you know, sitting across from him. Uh, you know, he speaks he speaks carefully. Uh, you know, in, I've watched him out and about. He, he holds the door open to people. He, you know, he's very mannerly. But you're left in no doubt that he is a militant Irish nationalist, and the views that he held growing up in County Tipperary, and the actions. Uh, that he that he did as part of his role for the IRA are the same views that he holds decades on. There's something more sinister about him, however, simply because he was a man of the cloth. He is seen in many photographs wearing his clerical collar. He's he's seen as being a, a priest for a considerable amount of time during the Troubles and during a variety of protests, even though he did at some point turn his back on the Catholic Church, didn't he? He did. He was was ordained in 1954 and he was uh, dispatched to uh, what was then Tanganyika in East Africa. It was later renamed Tanzania. Uh, You and your listeners will may recall as part of, you know, Irish history in terms of, you know, learning about it going up, that there was, you know, a a great surplus of Irish priests and Irish Catholic nuns who were dispatched to to the missions abroad. And and he he was there for over a decade. Um, He turned his back, in a sense, on the Catholic Church and on on the Palatine Order when he began to work uh, full-time for the IRA from the early 1970s onwards. Now, he was photographed in his clerical garb 
in the late 1980s. He would wear it on occasion when he returned to Ireland during his uh, trips to Europe and trips to Libya, uh, you know, in the 1970s. But he wasn't practicing in a formal sense as, as a Catholic priest. Uh, he used it, um, one might say, as, as, as costume, because, of course, you know, Catholic priests in the Ireland of that day, uh, you know, held great status. Uh, you know, doors would open uh, quite easily. You know, very few people would question what a priest uh, was up to. And, and he knew that and, and he exploited that uh, for whatever ends, uh, whatever endeavours, you know, he was focused on. But he, he never practised uh, as a priest after he walked away uh, from the Palatine Order. And it, it took until 1990, Frank, for, the, for him to be formally dismissed uh, from the Order. How much would the hierarchy of the Catholic Church have known that he was fully supportive and indeed he was a conduit in relation to delivering of arms and explosives that would have led to the killing of innocent people, would have led to the killing of people full stop? Well, Frank, in 1969, he he was back in Ireland. Uh, He had returned to to work um, in a role that saw him drive around the country collecting the coins that had been tossed in the the mission boxes. And instead of delivering the money to his superiors in Tipperary, he began to direct uh, the money uh, towards the IRA. And, you know, of course, his superiors, you know, know, the the detail is in the book, the, the checks were getting smaller. And they asked him where was the money, and he says he he told them, um, and they had asked him to stop, and he had no intention of stopping. Um, and then it seems, based on conversations I've had with with others, that he effectively went to ground. He 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 refused to take up the posting, um, take up a posting in in London in the in the early 1970s, and. In effect, the Palatine Order had no control, if you like, over him. You know, he, he was gone. He was he was gone off the books. He was just not turning up. And um, so, in terms of how much the Catholic Church and the hierarchy knew in detail about what exactly he was up to, remains unclear. But they certainly they certainly found out in 1988 when he was arrested. In, in Brussels and the British government and Margaret Thatcher's government at the time, the British Prime Minister, wanted him extradited to London. So so they knew then what had what he had been up to because of course at that time, you know, it became a you know, a very big uh, story. When you sat and talked to him and I see photographs of him and he does look like a very placid person. When you sit and talk to someone like that who started out as a disciple of God and who would have been influencing families across his parish and the missions and and so on, when you sit face to face with someone like that who is unrepentant for what they they did and you remind them of atrocities, whether it be Enniskillen or Warrington or Kings Mill or the Abercorn, we could go down through the list uh, and we'd still be naming places by the time this programme finishes. When, when, when you remind him of the atrocities carried out by the IRA, d- d- does he not feel any sense of guilt? No, and I know that is incredibly shocking for people, for many people to hear because of his, because of his ordination as a Catholic priest. 
you know, it is, there is no, there is no remorse, uh, no regret for what he did. And, and I did ask him uh, some time ago, you know, Patrick, you know, people will find it very difficult to understand how there isn't even a flash of remorse or a flash of regret at some stage. And he, he, he straightened up in the chair and you could see kind of this steeliness in his eye. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Jennifer, in, in terms of, of, of the British and what they did, and these are his words, Frank, not mine. You know, I am very much objective and in telling this story. It, he said, Jennifer, in, in terms of the British and what they did, and he paused, where is their sorrow? So I, I say that just to illustrate that he is... He is not saying that he has no regrets as in a way that carries bravado. It's what, it's what he believes. But does he not feel any sympathy for the victims, for those who are left in a state of disability, for those who are left suffering, for those who have lost their children? Does he not feel any guilt for being the priest that he was? Well, we, we spoke, you know, we had many, many long meetings, many conversations, because Frank, it, it's not as if I hit, you know, a tuning fork and he starts to sing like a, you know, a, can, a canary. It's, you know, it's conversations, it's, it, it, it's a long, t- it took a long time for him to, to open up. And, and we did have conversations about the victims in particular of the Hyde Park atrocity of, of Brighton, of the Brighton bomb. And, no, there, there is no, there is no remorse for for what happened, as, as he sees it. Uh, he is, uh, he is an Irish militant nationalist, and he he believes in in what was in what was done, um, was done for for the cause as he sees it. Um, and you know, at, at no stage uh, during the writing of of the book, um, or in the many chats that I had with him, did I fail to mention uh, the consequences of those of those IRA atrocities? Because of course, Frank, his re-engineering of a timing device uh, became a hallmark of IRA bombs. Um, Right down, you know, they were using scores of bombings from the mid 1970s onwards, um, and that innovation made it easier to train bomb makers and safer for IRA bombers. So I mentioned that because Patrick Ryan was not a person going out in the dead of night uh, in Northern Ireland or in the Republic planting devices under people's cars, but he was the man that made it. Uh, much easier and much safer for those who did. And he went to Libya and he was trained on machine gun fire. He 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 went he he went there and organised the deals and he, he was a very important conduit in all of it. He, he was, and it, it, we know how important how important he was because in 1989, Margaret Thatcher who was then sitting across from the British Prime Minister on, on, the, on the, the, the edge of a, a European summit, you know, was facing Charles Hawley, who was then Taoiseach at the time. And, and she was putting it on the record that 
you know, Ryan, as she describes him, was a very bad egg, that he was that main channel of contact from the early 1970s to the mid-1980s. You know, when he agreed to work on behalf of the IRA, that was his role. He was... He was a diplomat of sorts, a fixer. He was the man that was sent to Tripoli to uh, set up a system whereby Gaddafi's money could be funneled to to the IRA. And he was he was very successful at that because he funneled a lot of money. He set up Swiss bank accounts uh, in which to to hold that money um, before it was sent back sent back to uh, the IRA's GHQ. He, he, was, he was very effective at what he did um, and he has uh, a mathematical and an engineering uh, a talent for that and also uh, a, a talent uh, for, for talking to people and, and opening doors and you know, using the charisma that he has for for what many, many would see as nefarious ends. And he once considered setting up a splinter group because he felt that MI5 had infiltrated the provost too much. So he, he was considering pursuing his own agenda while he hadn't been fully compromised. How is he viewed now in Republican circles? What, what, what would Sinn Féin's thinking on Father Patrick Ryan be? Uh, well, it would be remiss of me to to, to, to speak for to speak for for Sinn Fein, and and I'm also not speaking uh, for for Patrick Ryan. I, I am I'm telling his story. He, thank you. Think of him this way: he is very much an outsider to the Republican movement. When he was actively working for the IRA, it was only there was only an elite few within the organisation who knew of his existence and knew of his role. So he only became publicly known uh, to many um, to many in the within the IRA when he was arrested in the late 1980s in Brussels, and after he was uh, repatriated on a Belgian military plane that avoided. British airspace and brought back to Dublin. Uh, he, he, he too, uh, the Irish government in turn, also uh, turned down a request from the British government to extradite him from Dublin to London. Um, he, never, he never worked um, in any formal sense again for the Republican movement and the book details a showdown he had face to face with Martin McGuinness in the early 1980s in Stevens Green in, in Dublin. So he's always been an outsider. Yes, he says that uh, he had been approached uh, at some stage when he was back living in Ireland to set up, if you like, what he describes as a new outfit. But he deemed at that point, uh, given his judgment that the IRA was infiltrated, as he said, from top to bottom, it was, as he described it, you know, a move like that would have been, as he describes it, lambs to the slaughter. Does he talk at all about the modern-day dissidents? Uh, the, the book is very much uh, focused on his story from his childhood up to the point of his uh, return to Ireland after his extradition, and it does not go into 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 recent into in, into recent history, and of course into the the current threat posed by 
dissident Irish Republicans. Certainly well worth reading, Jennifer. Uh, thank you very much for speaking to us about it. It's The Padre. It's by yourself, Jennifer O'Leary, and it's uh, published by Merriam Press. Am I right on that? Yes, absolutely. And it's available um, in all bookshops and online. And, and, I, I, and I will say this finally, Frank, you know, I am very mindful that his story um, is, you know, is appalling to, to, for a lot of people and very difficult. Um, and this story and the book is, is written sensitively and is in no way romanticises uh, what Patrick Hine uh, was up to. No, Jennifer, totally appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you for taking part in the programme. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. It is the writer, author and broadcaster uh, Jennifer O'Leary here on the U105 uh, phone in. John Daly sat in fight seat on Friday and took the opportunity to discuss the three worst letters in world football, VAR, and how the men in charge of the remote control may have more power than fans first expected. There's an interesting story developing in the world of sport, in the world of professional football. Most will be aware of the video assistant referee, VAR, which uses video footage to help a referee to make a decision because there are things that a referee can't possibly see or if they have seen that they can't possibly make a call on because it happens so quickly. Whereas the advantage of watching it in slow motion from different angles gives a greater view of what has just happened and therefore with that that increased knowledge, the referee should be making a more informed decision. Interesting story developing today. You may have already heard this. Former Premier League referee Mike Dean failed to correct a mistake in a match to save his friend and fellow official Anthony Taylor from extra grief. So just to put you in the picture... Mike Dean was the video assistant referee on VAR for Chelsea's 2-2 draw with Tottenham in August of last year, 2022. And just before a late Harry Kane equaliser, I remember him, Chelsea felt they should have had a penalty after Christian Romero pulled Mark Cucurella's hair. And Dean, Mike Dean it is, acknowledged a really bad call, not sending Anthony Taylor to review this and to have a look at the footage to make a call on that. He said, I missed the stupid hair pull at Chelsea versus Tottenham, which was pathetic from my point of view, he told Simon Jordan's Upfront podcast. It's one of those where if I had my time again, what would I do? I'd send Anthony Taylor to the screen. I think I knew if I did send the referee to the screen, he'd already cautioned both managers. He's had a hell of a game. It's been such a tough game end to end. I said to Anthony, the referee, afterwards, I just didn't want to send you to the screen after what had gone on in the game. I didn't want to send him because he's a mate as well as a referee. And I think I didn't want to send him up because I didn't want any more grief than he'd already had. Mike Dean became a dedicated Premier League VAR, video assistant referee, last season after hanging up his whistle at the end of the 2021-2022 campaign after refereeing over 550 matches in the top flight. He was stood down from VAR duty for two months after that Stamford Bridge incident and he subsequently brought an end to his 28-year career as a professional official because being in the VAR hot seat was something he ended up dreading. What I think is interesting about this story, first of all, it's gracious, I suppose. Some would argue that it's, it's late honesty and it's referred honesty for him to a year later to refer back to that and to say that he made a huge error of judgment. But I think 
it, it is interesting because it enlightens us, the viewers, us, the fans, us, the spectators, into the thinking of those who are the video assistant referee. And they have that instant, that moment or two, they have a little bit of time, they have a few seconds to make a decision as to whether they're going to contact the match referee on the pitch to come and look at a screen and to reassess a judgment that they have already made. And it's enlightening because there's so much criticism of the VAR system. And yet, the system itself, because it's mechanical, it it does what it does. It records incidents. Surely it's the the interference or the the work of humans that makes this VAR system at times unreliable and Mike Dean there trying to shine a light upon that. Linda's handbag was cause for concern for Johnny on U105 Drive as they spoke about the search for extraterrestrial life, projecting our emotions onto our pets and the risks of wearing a Cliftonville top on the Castle Ray Road. And now on U105, Ireland is in. Hello, yo. Hi, hi. How are you? you? Right. So, listen, before we go any further, this is a sort of touchy-feely thing. Um, (coughs) No, not really. I want you to feel the weight of my handbag. Hold on, I'm going to come round to you. Is this like Mary Poppins' handbag, about people and all in it? And then who's in there? There's nothing in there that I can your bum. I have, I mean... You want to feel the weight? It's like, <laughs> that one of those ten stone bag of potatoes you used to have to cut around. It, it was hurting my back. When Any I was wonder? Cut. There's nothing in that I use. I, I two men in the wee lad couldn't lift that bag? I, I don't, I don't go in, I don't go into that from morning until night. I have no idea. Imagine if there was stuff in it that I actually used. There's stowaways in it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure there's people going, I don't know what's in my handbag, but it's full. I mean, my mum carries her her handbag and there's nothing in it. It's like a brick. So I'm blaming the bag from the beginning. What <laughs> the material of the bag? Well, it's, it's, it feels like thick leather, like no, no. quality leather. No. Feel that, you know? No, no, no. It's just, I don't know what's in it. Right. And when I, okay. I don't know what's going on with the bag, but there's people joining in. Right. So, go ahead. That's so, fine. there you go, folks. There's a challenge for you at home <laughs> this evening. Get the scales out mm-hmm. and uh, weigh your handbag, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> it'll be affecting your back and all. It'll be straining all the uh, shoulder muscles and you know. Yes. You. And can I tell you something else before you go on? Because sometimes you do. We bit. Before I go on. We bit. Did you know, you probably already d- did this yesterday, but did you know that 40 years ago um, this month, I made that wee bit up, but the rest of it's true. 40 years ago, scientists sent a message to space. Uh, to a particular planet mm-hmm. and so they reckoned it would be 40 years there and back mm-hmm. and so they're waiting any day now to get a reply from aliens but they've been sending those forever have they? they always send them maybe the first message has never got well no, there's an organisation called SETI S-E-T-I mm-hmm. the search for extraterrestrial whatever it is mm-hmm. um, uh, ink spots or something I don't know what mm-hmm. it is but they continually send messages yes and radio transmissions and Morse code messages and all yes. kinds of mm-hmm. every way we communicate to see if the aliens can identify with any of them mm-hmm. if the aliens are there I know but you just couldn't you just couldn't let me have that no, the aliens are no, getting in couldn't. touch this week sometime they're not getting in touch well they, that goes message. on every, every day they're waiting on messages well. <laughs> Yes, because the one you're talking about, the place was 20 light years away. Uh Uh-huh. So the message would have taken 20 years to get there. 
and and 20, 20 years to get back. That's not, why. That is of the alien stuff. But they're not giving the wee man much time, time to, to look at it. <laughs> I don't know, and these want to reply right away. I'm in my holidays. I'm fed up replying to messages from those balloons. <laughs> I'm not replying it. I have know. things to do. and maybe take an extra year, so uh, maybe know, next year. The aliens might. I mean, they might, mm-hmm. their sleep cycle might be two years in bed at night or uh, something, you know. You never uh, know. No. There's uh, a message. I'll do it in the morning, which is <laughs> in 2025. Uh, uh, okay. You know? Yep. I'm going to lie in. I'll take another six months. <laughs> <laughs> it's like our... <laughs> you see, people assume aliens will have a like 24-hour mm. body clock and, yeah. you know, look like us and all. No. Yeah. It's a bit like dogs. They do- probably look like puffs of smoke. And it's a bit like dogs and cats. What? You know, because we put our human feelings on dogs and cats. I mean, if we go, oh, the cat must be warm because yes. we're warm. They they live at a different temperature than us. And, and just because we we put our feelings onto them, they must be thinking the same it's as called us. called so. anthropomorphizing, isn't it? Yeah, it's basically putting human qualities on an animal. Oh, saucy, don't you know that? Yeah, see, no, but it's like when people say... Because in our house, you were looking at Max and going, I don't think he's happy. And Uncle Mac, Max, you don't know. They don't have the same and, yeah. and Max is triggers running, as Max we is do. Max is running about thinking about bacon, 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 bacon. Mm. <laughs> you know? Do you think Max is annoyed? I don't know what they're talking about, but bacon. I think Max is in pain now because he got an operation. Yeah. Every time I think he's in pain, and, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting going, he's probably raging because we turned the TV over. <laughs> he was enjoying <laughs> watching the cartoons. That you won't give him a minute's peace. Why would they stop touching my hair? I know. Stop petting me. <laughs> Leave me alone. I don't like being petted. Now, just go away. You know. uh, and you're going, he loves his belly, done. He I loves know. his belly, and he's going, eat this. Max is going, now, if I was a dog, or a ten times the size of you, would you like it if I just grabbed you, <laughs> rolled you on your back, and started rubbing your belly? <laughs> you know? The wee dogs getting together, and all. what are your owners like? Now, don't talk to me. Fed up getting through on my back and get my belly rubbed for God's sake. And then they take you for a walk, and then you go to the toilet, and they lift it and put it in a bag. What are they doing it for? What are they collecting that for? I mean, I got used to get shouted at when I was a pup for doing it in the house, saving them a trip. Now they have to walk me, and they collect it and bring it back to the house. I kind of just go in the kitchen when I was a wee pup. These people are mad. Oh, here they come again, rubbing my head. Go away, go away. No, we do. I'd love to be inside a wee uh, dog's head. Uh, Here, what's going on? Anyway, yes. there was a story. Deagle had this on Twitter, and it's true, right? <laughs> yeah. So the story goes, our cleaner was up in Tesco's on the Castlereagh Road mm-hmm. with her son, mm-hmm. and her son was wearing a Cliffenville top. Yeah. Now, without getting all too political, Tesco's in the Castlereagh Road would not be a wash with Cliffenville tops. Yes. Right? Okay? So what road again? Jesus. Uh, Castlereagh Road. I forgot. I forgot. Right. So it would be a Glen Torn kind of Linfield kind of area. Yes. I'm guessing. Yes. Right? Okay. Cliffenville So woman's in the Tesco there. We lads wearing a Cliffenville top and some old woman come over holding a bottle, a bottle of water come over and says, hey, take that top off. Mm-hmm. <gasps> And, and, and Nathan said, take yourself off, you old idiot. I've, I've nothing underneath this. I'm not walking around with no shirt on. Mm-hmm. And the woman said, no, no. And she handed over the bottle of water. She says, I have arthritis. I can't take that <gasps> top off. Will you do it? No! <laughs> Is that true? No! Uh, <laughs> oh, God bless her, no! So... 
Lena said they both had a redner about uh, there was like days afterwards oh still God. going. You know, oh, holy sausage. God getting all confrontational. I'm like, not taking this top off. <laughs> I'm entitled to wear any top I want. Yeah. You can support your team, I'll support mine. <laughs> and the woman's like, you know, oh, no. we on and all. And just, you know, when I can't take a top of the water. Oh, Corley does. He just that awful sweet. Class. Really, really sweet. Class. I know. That was the, uh, I think I told you this before about court. Mm. There was a guy in court who was um, giving a statement. And he was asked, why were you going around to the suspect's house? I was going around for a top. Mm-hmm. The judge says, what do you mean a tap? What's that? And the barrister stood up and says, uh, my lord, in the local uh, parlance, local language, a tap means he needed some money. He was going around to get some money. I wasn't, I was going around for a tap. <laughs> well, what kind of tap is it now? And the barrister says, my lord, it's obviously some plumbing connection. He's going down to get a, you know, a, a faucet, <laughs> if you will, for his kitchen or bathroom. I was going around for a tap. <laughs> What top are you going around for? I was going around for a football top. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Is this this it? Yes, this is it. When are you ruining your own show? Uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday from 7 o'clock until 12. Okay, and you got a new phone. I did. That's still in the box. Were you you waiting on me sorting that out for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's going to be a What was it you said? Is it a... Is it a is it a smartphone? And I says, I don't know. It's a a swipey one. A swipey one. <laughs> it's, it's, a got, swipey it's got a touch screen, <laughs> which have only been available for about twenty years. Like. Aye. Oh, gag you and it's trying to set up a new phone. I know, but the thing, it's not you should do, listen. You should go and get the UTV people up the stairs. Get yeah, a camera crew. Yeah. They should film you trying to set yeah. up a phone. The thing is, I went into one of those places where you can buy phones. And a I phone was, shop. Yeah, I. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I says, could I have your cheapest phones? And he says, we don't do cheap phones. <laughs> oh, Jesus! We don't do cheap phones. No, but you can get you can get ones you don't need all that stuff. I just want it for an app. You don't need all that right, stuff. Who okay. needs all that? Who knows what's in all that stuff that you get on the oh, phone? Oh, don't you It start. comes ready-made with don't stuff. Start. Yes. Don't you drive a car? Uh-huh. Well, then. It has stuff, too. I don't know what it does. Right. Right. <sighs> See you tomorrow. I know you'll be here next week and that phone won't be <laughs> won't be working yet. No. I, know. <laughs> no, I know. Right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's U105 of the Best. For all this and more, tune in weekdays on FM, on DAB, on our free app, and on your smart speakers. For Northern Ireland's best mix, U105. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.